Yep, I'm going first. <laughs> Pastoral privilege. Um, I so appreciate the song services. Many songs seem to um, resonate with me, and the good uh, prayer that's just gone before. I want to share with you um, a thought from one song that we sang this morning. Uh, uh, Brother Mosley led it, <clears throat> number 269. Just one um, part of one verse that just uh, struck me this morning in a way that it hadn't before. Be still, my soul, the waves and winds still know his voice who ruled them while he dwelt below. Something to think about. That even today, with Christ sitting at the right hand of the throne of God, the wind and the wave here where we live, in this low ground, the sin and sorrow, as Brother David prayed, the wind and the wave still know His voice, that voice that ruled them while He dwelt below. Which means the power, the authority, the supremacy, the supremacy, the, the sovereignty that God had um, from before the foundation of the world that he manifested in the man Christ Jesus. <clears throat> God still has that. Jesus Christ still has it. Um, that may not be as big of a surprise because he changes not, right? I'm the Lord God, I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed, right? So if, if God is sovereign, he has been and will be. There, there can't be a beginning and an ending to his sovereignty. But it strikes me to realize that the wind and the wave still know, right? They're still in subjection to him. None of that has changed, right? And the wind and the wave that obeyed his voice when he was here, that wind and that wave is still here with us, right? It strikes me every time I'm on a beach when I see the waves coming in that they have been perpetually uh, crashing against the shore. There's not some time that... The ocean is just calm and that there's no waves. There's just always this beating of, of the, the waves upon the shore. They realize that as long as there have been waves, waves have been in subjection to the voice of God. He spoke them into existence. And however scientific we want to pontificate on how waves work, God is the author of waves. Right? And he spoke them into existence and he can speak them into obedience. And the wind and the wave still know. It makes me realize if I, you know, there's that song, If uh, uh, My Jesus, If I Ever Love Thee, uh, how it goes, I, I Know I Love Thee Now, or whatever. Um, the question is, is, if I ever knew, but might I still know? The wave, and the, the wave and the wind still know his voice that ruled them while he dwelt below. I want to just take that thought and look at two passages of scripture this morning and try to quickly give way here to uh, Brother Mike. But in Matthew chapter 8, we find uh, this occasion in verse 23. So Matthew eight twenty-three. And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, 
we perish. That's not much different than the prayer that the Apostle Peter gave when he was walking on the water, right? Or when he had ceased to walk on the water, right? Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds in the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What manner of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Their, their remark wasn't on how obedient the winds and the waves were. Like, these are well-behaved wind and wave. Right? These are different winds than we've seen before. These are different waves. These are well-cultured wind and wave. They've been uh, brought up well. Right? They figured the wind and the wave were just like any other wind and wave, but they said, what manner of man he is. He's the difference. What manner of man that even the wind and the wave obey him? So what, what's the answer to that question? What manner of man is he? What manner of man was he that the wind and the wave would obey him? Because if you take your manner of man, or my manner of man, and we speak to the wind and the wave, <clears throat> what we'll find is that the wind and the wave do not obey my command. Right? They wouldn't obey my command if I were in a sailboat and I wanted help from the wind. The wind and the wave wouldn't obey me if I were in a sinking ship and I wanted there to be a still calm. So one thing we know for sure is the manner of this man, Christ Jesus, was different. And that's why they marveled. said, this is a marvelous thing. Never had man spake like this man spake. What manner of man is he that the wind and the wave obey him? Now I think that's a question worth asking, and it's a question worth answering. And it's not just a question worth asking then, it's a question worth asking today, right now. What manner of man is he that the wind and the wave obey him? Not that they obeyed him, but they're in the present state of obedience to God. If God speaks and says, keep up on one side, keep up on the other, and my people will pass through, then that's what the wind and the wave do, right? If he says, hold and stand back, he can hold from the north, he can hold from the south, or he can have the north and the south give up. And so even at this very moment, as we live right here, right now, the wind and the wave haven't just occasionally, on a sparse uh, circumstance, obeyed him. They obey him still. So what manner of man is he? Not was he, but what manner of man is he that the wind and the wave obey him? I'll tell you what manner it is. It's impressive, right? It is from above. It is supernatural, above nature, right? What manner of man? He, he's every word you could think of right now, and you're thinking of as many as I'm trying to think of, that you could use to describe God. That's what manner of man he was. Do you know that when he spoke and the wind and the wave obeyed him, do you know one of his mannerisms was love? That was an act of love. Right? It was an act of power. It was an act of sovereignty. It was an act of redemption. Right? He saved people with his voice. And what manner of man is he that he could save people with even just his spoken word? That's, that's the God we're serving this very morning. We believe he's able to speak life where there was none. That he can maintain life when it's under threat of peril. 
When there's a threat of perdition, he can bring salvation. What manner of man is he that the wind and the wave obey him? And sometimes when it's really windy and when it's really wavy, I see wind and I see wave, but I forget what manner of man he is. Because if I knew what manner of man he was, he is. If I knew that and I appreciated it and I valued it, it would change my prayer. Because I would know what manner of man this is that the wind and the wave obey him. Because sometimes when it's windy and wavy, I think God is as scared about it as I am. I think he's as frustrated about it as I am. And he was asleep. He was asleep because he had that liberty to sleep. You know what it feels like after a hard day and you lay your head on your pillow and your bed feels so right? And you could lay your cares down and you can take rest? The Lord could take rest because he was not concerned about the wind and the wave. And it didn't mean it wasn't a threat to his people, right? There are threats to his people that the Lord can, if he were a sleeping kind, and God does not slumber, right? But this is the humanity Christ Jesus. He could lay his head and sleep. I don't know if I could sleep on any boat anytime, right? But he, in this rough water, laid down his head and was asleep when it were conditions not conducive to sleep, right? There's not a reasonable, rational, sane person on that ship that could have been sleeping except one. What manner of man he is. There's times we're overwhelmed because of the manner of men that we are. But God has never been overwhelmed because of the manner of man that he is. What manner of man he is that the wind and the wave obey him. Well, let's go to another place in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 in verse 9. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise as some men count slackness. So the, some, the manner of some men is slackness about promise, right? And you know what slackness is? That's like the slackness in a rope, right? When a rope is slack, do you know what it's doing? Nothing. It's unemployed. It's disengaged, right? If you have a, a piece of rope and it's just laying there and it's got loops in it, it's not functional, right? It may have potential, right? But it's not being put to bear, some men are slack concerning their promise. Like, I've given the promise. It's, I've got the potential to keep it. I've got the intention to keep it. But God is not slack concerning his promise. When the Lord's promised, it is a tight rope. It's taut, right? And we're taught by it. We can look to the end of our faith and see that anchor of our soul, Christ Jesus. And it's pulled taut and tight. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Was the Lord willing that anyone on that ship should perish? He wasn't. If he, if he were willing, that would have been a circumstance where men could have perished, but the Lord wasn't willing because of a promise. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. And some of the things that are going to be burned up are winds and waves. Right? 
anything that's ever dashed upon a child of God. And in verse 11, the apostle uh, Peter comes to this conclusion. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness? What manner of men ought we to be? What manner of persons ought ye to be? Okay. He doesn't say what manner of persons are you, but what manner of persons ought you to be? Okay. Now, I think the manner of persons that we ought to be has a lot to do with the manner of the man, Christ Jesus. What manner of man that the wind and the wave should obey him? Okay. And just to take one, because there's many, let's just take this one. From above. Christ Jesus was from above. And when Jesus Christ talked to Nicodemus, he said, if you were to, if you, Nicodemus didn't even ask, but the Lord said, if you would see my kingdom, what it means to see and enter into the kingdom is ye must be born again. You must be born from above. You've got to have a manner like Christ Jesus. And what manner of persons ought we to be? The lesson that Peter has is the things that we're so concerned about, the things that we're so consumed about, you think about anything that's given you trouble, right? The worry and the concern, okay? There's going to come a time when all the lawyers in this world are going to be unemployed, right? There won't be anybody bringing litigation against somebody else. Okay? All of the first responders, nothing else to respond to. No more need for police, no more need for firemen, right? All that will be put aside, right? And we'll be in heaven in a mortal glory. But it says, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Think about anything that's been a weight and a burden upon the children of God, um, in addition to firemen, policemen, lawyers, and the, and the like, there won't be any mortgage bankers either, right? No more mortgages, right? Mortgages will be consumed in the fire, right? right? Because there won't, we won't be indebted in this world, right? The things that we're concerned about, the things that um, are a weight and a burden for us here while we live, those things are going to be consumed. Now, if we understood that, if we understood that the things that so plague us, the things that so worry us, the things that bother us and pull us under, if we realize those are the things that are going to be consumed, what manner of persons ought we to be? What if we could really tell the difference between something that's eternal and something that's carnal or natural or temporary? Boy, if, if I had a better meter for that, right? and it's not that I don't know, it's that at the moment, even though something's just, maybe it's, it's really short-lived, it's alive and well right then, but if I could learn and appreciate and understand the manner of things, and the manner of me, and the manner of him, what manner of man, and what man is he, and what manner of persons ought we to be? It says, nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him 
in peace, without spot, and blameless. It's an interesting thing happened in that verse. We're looking, and then we're found, right? That's not how it normally works, right? When you're looking, you're the one who's not lost. You're looking for the thing that's lost, right? You're the boss. You're lo- you know where you are, and you're looking for something that you don't know where it is. But this says, while you're looking, that you might be found. There's a perspective that the Lord has given unto us that while we're looking at things the way that we ought to be looking at things, when we see what manner of men we ought to be, it's not that we're going to find what we're looking for. We're going to be found. We're going to be found in Him. And what manner of man is He? He is from above. Look in the ministry of Jesus Christ from the beginning to the end of that manifested ministry of Jesus Christ. He was not one given to wringing his hands out of worry about what he would do about a circumstance or situation. He was not surprised. He was not taken aback. He was not compromised. He was not regretful. Right? And so what we see is he had something that uniquely belongs to God in his sovereignty. I'm not saying we can have that manner, but I'm saying our manner ought to be informed by that manner. The wind and the wave don't obey me. It would be a fool's errand for me to try. But I can tell you this, there's a reason why you can live this life not worried about the wind and the wave not obeying you, because you know one whom they do obey. You know, if, if, if you know God, there's a lot of things you don't have to be able to do. I mean, if God can calm the wind and the wave, you don't have to, Brother James. If God has your life under his hedge of protection, there's some things that we're not going to have to be concerned about. And yet, when we are concerned about those things, it's because we've forgotten what manner of man we ought to be. And that's usually born out of the fact that we've forgotten what manner of man he is. That the wind and the wave obey him. And I think this is a fill-in-the-blank moment. Right? The blank and the blank obey him. Right? If it's eyesight, if it's Alzheimer's, if it's a bad back, if it's unemployment, whatever it is. Right? The Lord loves his people. And what Peter says is he has a promise concerning his people. And not only does he have a promise concerning his people, he's not slack. Right? He's engaged in the promise that he has for his people. Knowing this, what manner of persons ought we to be? We ought to be a people with mannerisms that reflect that we know what manner of man he is. Uh, A God who loves, a God who knows, and a God who does. Come ahead, Brother Mike.